gather around the lamp and Aston Villa podcast. Helps it on to Tyrone Mings and Konza! Esri Konza strikes gold for Aston Villa! Hello and welcome back to the Gather Around the Lamp podcast brought to you by underagaslitlamp.com. On this episode, we're going to try and cover a wide variety of topics and opinions all about the Villa happenings over the last week and what transfer links are still abound going into the last week of the transfer window. As always, I'm Regan. You can find me on Twitter at FindFoy. And I'm joined, as always from now on, by Mark and Andy. Mark, if you want to introduce yourself. What's going on, everybody? Mark Jarobi here. You can find me on Twitter at VillaMarkPGH. And as always, from here forth, joined by the very talented Mr. Andy Bates. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me back again. Um, I'm, my name's Andy, and you can find me at K2 underscore Villa on Twitter. Really good to be back and loads to talk about this week. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, since the last episode, it's it's wild to think that Villa have played in two Premier League games and one Carabao Cup match. Villa did just enough against Sheffield United after a John Egan red card dismissal a mere 12 minutes into the contest to come away with all three points. But before we delve further into that game, do you guys feel that the, the Egan sending off was justified? You know, we, we had such a difficulty playing against teams with, with 10 men last season. You know, the the West Ham uh, at Villa Park game springs to mind. You know, did last year's difficulty with, with man advantages worry you at all in this instance, Andy? Yeah, it certainly crossed my mind uh, when, he, when he got sent off. Um, to answer your first question, I don't think it was a red card I'd, I'd have been very upset if if that had been the other way around um, in all honesty I can understand the kind of letter of the law but I still think Watkins had an awful lot to do although he had got he had got past him um, I think he still had a lot to do to make that a goal scoring opportunity um, I, the, the thought that did cross my mind at the time was was that um, he'd some one thing that has really started to annoy me about about games is 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 that that hauling down of a player. Um, it seems to be happening more and more, almost sort of rugby tackle style, um, bringing players down. And maybe they've been asked, um, you know, to clamp down on that a bit. Um, it was certainly along those lines. But I think I think if it had been a Villa player, I'd have, I'd have expected a yellow card um, as it was. He got red. He got the red card, and that probably gave us a real advantage um, for the for the rest of the game. And we just wore them down after that. I think they defended really, really well. Um, they obviously had the chance to take the lead with the penalty, um, but they defended really, really well. And um, it, it, you know, it took a a really well worked set piece to to see them off, really. Um, but yeah, not a, not a red for me. What do you reckon, yeah. Mark? Uh, for for me, like I, I was kind of in two minds about it because, of course, I'm going to be really, you know, happy about the fact that, you know, we we now have a pacey striker that in situations like this he might be able to get a call like this. But for me personally, 
I think it was a yellow. Nothing more than that. Um, but yeah, then again, it might just be a signal of a pacier striker like we have now with Ollie Watkins, who's able to kind of stretch the field and give a defender, you know, a, maybe a, a split second to think and make a decision. But for me, never really a red surprise that it was. And like you were talking about the fact of like these players getting hauled down, it seems like it's happening more and more and more. I even noticed it through the first couple weeks of Project Restart. It seemed like there were players that are committing professional fouls when they didn't really need to commit a professional foul. Um, I don't know if that might be like a trend going forward that players think that they can get away with stuff like that and, you know, take the foul or take the card um, in, in certain situations. We actually we, we saw it in the most recent game Villa played, which we'll get on to in a little bit. But I don't know, Regan, did you really think this was a sending off, man? Because it, it, just, it just looked a little soft for me for, to, for a dismissal. I mean, the first time that I saw it, I didn't think that it was was a red card. But, you know, as we've mentioned, by the letter of the law, he he was denied a clear goal-scoring opportunity. For me, he would have got to the ball uh, earlier than Ramsdale and would have had the opportunity to either, you know, lob him or, or work the ball around him. So I think it's, it's one of those things that's going to cause a lot of controversy, cause a lot of discussion moving forward throughout the season. But for for me, you know, you've got to follow follow the letter of the law and, and I guess yeah, it was it was a red. Um even after the sending off for Blades though, it it still looked like it was going to be a difficult game for Villa. You know, it wasn't to say that Villa didn't have their chances, but you know, any any squad coached by Chris Walder is always going to kind of be resolute in defence. Uh, the Blades were given, as Andy mentioned, the penalty in the 36th minute, and John Lundstrom was the man tasked with taking the kick. Um, luckily for us, Villa new boy Emiliano Martinez saved a wonderful, uh, a wonderful stroke really from Lundstrom. You know, it was it was a great great kick, and he, he prov- provided a wonderful and athletic save to keep the game square for the villains on his debut. You know, dived to the right, kept the ball at the back of the net, and it it was really great to see this from Martinez on his debut, and especially the kind of uh, reactions of his teammates around him. You know, you had Matty Cash, Tyrone Mings, Ezra Concer all kind of rushing rushing to him to congratulate him. What did you think of this, this penalty save? Do you think, you know, it was it was a sign of how confident Martinez is moving into this season, or...? Uh, for me, I, I think it, it it was all about the confidence, and that you know you can see, you can see from where he previously was at Arsenal, and getting that nod with with Leno being out, you can see that he's a very athletic keeper. Um, you know, commands his line really well. As far as a penalty, though, I'll be honest, and I might get a few chuckles for this, but like I actually blew my voice out reacting to this penalty save. I like I was up like off of my seat. I was so happy that he saved this ball. Um, all positive things. It, you know, Martinez himself after the match said it's like scoring a hat trick on your debut. It's absolutely wonderful. You know, he, he's really excited about it. But I mean, you can't. He, the, you can't say much more than how amazing it is to have a keeper like him. And granted, there's a lot of games to go. And granted, you know, we, we don't know how the season's going to unfold just yet. But, man, what a, what a way to make a make a debut, Andy, huh? Absolutely. I mean, I think the, the thing that struck me was that I think with the new, newish sort of laws about goalkeepers, um, they're being quite strict on whether they advance off their line, which is obviously has always been the rule, but it's never really been enforced. Um, and also, I guess, uh, monitoring that with VAR as well. Um, it's it's probably going to be harder and harder for, for keepers to save penalties. Um, I mean, Lundstrom put it at nice height for him, but the athleticism um, to get from a, a standing position 
right over to to push it away. Really strong palm on it. Um, I mean, it, it just showed that the quality, and I, I just loved his little kind of turnaround, sort of almost like a, a Jedinak glare towards the uh, the teammates as they ran towards him. It was it was a great moment. Um, really great uh, thing to happen on his debut. Um, and then he went on to keep keep a clean sheet, which. Like you say, it's it's perfect, isn't it? It's it was a it was a really impressive bit of goalkeeping for me. Um, so yeah, delighted. And then Villa would go on to ride the wave of that penalty into half time. You know, it, it wasn't like we were necessarily struggling against the Blains, but Villa Villa looked to kind of capitalise on that that good feeling, um, edging into the end of the first half. And they they looked like they weren't going to stop trying to find that that winning goal, and in the sixty third minute, that's exactly what Villa would find. A corner taken by Matt Target found Tyrone Mings at the near post, who flipped the ball onto Esri Konza. And Konza would rise up and head the ball into the back of the net, albeit a fairly weak, I would say probably poor header. Um, went into the back of the net, but it seemed to flummox Ramsdale in the, in the Blades' net, and it sent the Villa faithful across the globe into raptures. What did you guys make of the goal? You know, did, did you think it could have been better? I mean, obviously it's a goal at the end of the day. I don't think it can get any better than that, but the, I mean, like the technique behind it. Um, and more importantly, what, what are our thoughts about Esri Konsa? Do you think this is a, a centre-back that could find himself in a claret and blue shirt for a long, long time? Or do you think, you know, in maybe in a couple of years, we could be fielding a, try, trying to field off some some offers for him? I think that he'll have off, offers coming in the door for Esri Konsa. I, I, I honestly, I do do believe that he, he's going to mature into a really, really, really good defender it's not me just saying that it's not me just being overly positive about the villa you look at his stats you look at how he's come on you especially look at how he looked coming off a project restart even when he was at right back even if he had to be deputized there he still wasn't terrible there's a lot of people that didn't like him there but it's good to have a, a little bit of a roundsman it's good to have a, a younger player like Hanzo has a lot of potential as far as the goal goes the technique could have been a little bit better but again like you stated i'm not going to complain about a ball getting across the line for aston villa i i've been saying it for a couple years now i've written about it a couple times i want aston villa to get way better at dead ball opportunities be it a corner be it a free kick find find a way to get better find a way to be more of an offensive threat in those areas i think the premier league is kind of geared toward that and i think it's an underrated part of the game that villa may be able to capitalize on that well we've heard in the past that there's various coaches within the uh, coaching staff at villa who, who really pride themselves in trying to make that work again most of the time it's about everybody just buying into a system especially on set pieces so i'm looking for that to go forward pleased with Kant's goal pleased with how it came off even if the technique was really poor and what are you thinking? Well, about the technique, I, I actually thought at the time it was um, it was a bit of a throwback um, of a corner. Um, you know, way back in the sort of early nineties, this is uh, this was the type of corner that, that Arsenal, you know, great Arsenal side at the time used to used to score from quite a lot. So you'd get the the, the near post flick on, and then someone would come in. You know, at the back post, you'd get Alan Smith or Ian Wright coming in at the back post and, and nodding it in. Um, so it was very, very similar to that. You, you don't often see that near post flick on anymore. It tends to be a ball straight into the middle or a, or a short corner, I guess. Um, but I was really, really struck by that. And it was, I mean, we, we've seen the Mings uh, near post flick on last season as well for, for, for Trezeguet's goal against 
Arsenal. So um, I was I was really pleased. I mean, obviously, I think Konza did what he could with the header. I don't think I think he was he was he's definitely arcing backwards, um, trying to get just something on it really, and and he just got enough on it to uh, to to wrong foot the the goalkeeper, which. Look, you take them any way they come, but I was I was really impressed with the uh, the, the corner routine, to be honest, and um, delighted for Concer. And I, I I agree, I think he's going to be a, a really a really solid defender for us, um, hopefully for a number of years. Um, I think he's got everything. Um, so, so I was saying to someone earlier in the window that I'd, I'd like to see Twan Zavi back at Villa, but they just said to me, "Well, why why would you want him when we've got Concer and?" And and it's a it's a it's a valid point. I think uh, he's he's more than capable, and him and Mings just look like they've got such a great understanding at the moment. So it's it's really positive signs going forward. I mean, we we spoke about the the set pieces in the last episode of the podcast, and we spoke about. I obviously raised the point that maybe we need more uh, specialised coaching at the club, and we spoke about the fact that Neil Cutler, who is the goalkeeping coach. Um, Obviously, he's our set piece, set pieces coach as well, and and you guys both raised the point that, from the perspective of a goalkeeper, you want to make the the set piece as hard as possible for the goalkeeper to kind of deal with, and if you kind of delve into this set piece goal, you know, from the eyes of Ramsdale, you're going to be at the near post initially in case Mings heads the ball towards goal, and then you've got to scramble to the far post to meet. Wherever, whoever's waiting at that far post, in this case, Concer. Um, and obviously, Concer's heading it back towards the, the near post. So, Ramsdale's absolutely flummoxed. He's, he's used all his momentum getting to one side of the net. And then, you know, as we saw with the Concer goal, he, he can't have enough momentum to, to reach what is relatively a weak header at the other side. So, I think, you know, granted, we raised the points, but I think if, if we could score a couple more like that this season, then Neil Cutler's job as a goalkeeping and set pieces coach is, is firmly in place. Um, but Villa would control and maintain their advantage throughout the rest of the match that ultimately finished 1 0 to the Villains. The first Premier League goal, a first Premier League win for Aston Villa with a Carabao Cup match against Bristol City on the horizon. Now, without diving too deep into the Bristol City game, City didn't ever seem to have a foothold in it, and the quality of even a rotated Villa squad was too much for them on the day. The side that Dean Smith rolled out was a mixture of youth, a new signing and some veteran presence, um, and it was Anwar El Ghazi who opened the scoring for Villa And after a mere 11 minutes. Keenan Davis took a Robins defender one-on-one before getting to the byline and starting a low pass into the path of El Ghazi to put Villa 1-0 up. Three minutes later, Villa would yet again find their way to goal. Jacob Ramsey placed a beautiful pass onto the feet of the newest signing, Bertrand Truro, and Truro struck the ball as soon as it came to him on the half volley, and as if, as if by magic or luck, he lofted it into the net past Bristol City keeper Max O'Leary. Now, we posted this clip on Twitter, and everyone and their ex-spouse seemed to have an opinion on if Truro meant to score or if it was a wayward cross. Coming to you first, Andy, what's your opinion? It's it's a shot. It's a great it's a great goal. Obviously, you know it's uh, you know he's just he's just he's just cushioned it perfectly. Um, and aside from from anything else, that's that's kind of uh, rule one hundred and one of 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 hitting a ball like that is you you put it across the keeper, so either it goes in the net or goes on target, 
or, or someone someone gets across and, and and pokes it in, and that's what he's done, you know. But it's uh, for me, it's a shot. <laughs> if it's a cross, who's he? Who's he aiming at? You know, it's um, yeah, no, it's it's a shot for me, and and a really good way to to open his account. What do you reckon, yeah. Mark? You took the words right out of my mouth, brother. Just about to say, if it was a cross, who the hell was he aiming for? Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a little different in in this kind of thing. Um, I don't care. I don't care if it was a shot or a cross. I really don't. It hit the back of the net. It's a goal for Aston Villa. There wasn't any any hold up. There wasn't any you know ref calling it back for a foul or anything like that. So I don't mind it. I I do think that he probably meant to shoot this ball and it just should happen to go in the back of the net. I don't know. It, and it, it was just such a beautiful goal. It almost seemed like when you're playing one of your buddies at, at FIFA, you know, maybe like after a night at, at the pub or something like that. And, you know, you, you throw a ball over the defensive line and you hold the left trigger and the shoot button trying to use, you know, a little bit of trickery, like a trick shot or something to see if you can get it past their keeper. That's what it seemed like to me. Um, but I, I'm really happy with it. I think it's great for Troy to get off the mark, um, especially in his debut as well. I think he will be more involved going forward, but it was it was good to see him out there. I thought the goal was nice. Re- Regan, are you, are you leaning one way or the other here? Or are you kind of sitting on the I don't care it went in the back of the net? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't care it went in the back of the net. But, um, you know, I saw a lot of people saying that it was meant to be a cross because he's renowned to be having a, a, a relatively weak right foot. Um, but a lot of people were saying that he was aiming for, for Lansbury, who was, you know, on the edge of the book running towards the penalty spot. If he was aiming for Lansbury, then, then my God, he needs to work on his crossing ability. So I think, uh, you know, I think it was a shot. And I think, yeah, there was probably a little bit of luck in the fact that it went in, but it was an outstanding goal and a great way to kind of mark your first appearance for your new club. Well, Regan, you also have to, like you talked about the fact we put it up as a GIF on Twitter, and it absolutely blew up. I'm looking at it right now, 6.5 thousand likes, 1.5 thousand retweets, and 621 thousand views. We kind of like broke Villa Twitter a little bit with putting that GIF up so soon after the goal was scored. Yeah, I mean, you know, you had Chelsea fans retweeting it and commenting on it. You had Leon fans retweeting and commenting on it. So there was an awful lot of people that were interested in that goal. Great, great, t- great timing, Regan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but the game would sway back and forth until the 73rd minute when uh, both new arrivals on the pitch would uh, link up with each other. That was Trezeguet and Ollie Watkins. Trezeguet assisted Ollie Watkins for Villa's third of the night and Villa found themselves in the rounds of 16 in the Carabao Cup facing Stoke City, which we'll get onto a little bit later. The most recent Premier League game involving Villa was against Fulham, and that was yesterday. We're recording this on on, on Tuesday. Um, And it would turn out to be a bit of a dreadful day for Fulham boss Scott Parker and his squad. It took a whole four minutes for Villa to score a goal, with captain Jack Grealish the man to score. Grealish was on the end of a wonderful lofted through ball by John McGinn, and it was a ball that just oozed class. Grealish made his run at the perfect time, forcing Fulham keeper Ariola to come out of his net, but to no avail. How good of the goal was this from you know Villa fans' perspective? McGinn had, had probably spotted Grealish pointing where he wanted the ball and Grealish met that ball perfectly and, and slotted past Ariola. I'd, I'd like to raise a point to both of you and I'll, I'll, I'll come to you first, Mark. Do you think that John McGinn has probably read or heard some of the recent criticisms coming his way because he looked like a man possessed in this game? I'll I tell you what, if he didn't hear any of those criticisms or read any of those criticisms... 
uh, someone someone had someone had to tell him. You look at how he played against Fulham. We're, we're looking at pre-lockdown, pre-injury John McGinn here. We're looking at like probably the first five to eight games when he first came over to Villa when we were in the championship. You're looking at that kind of form. Absolute Tasmanian devil out there on the pitch. But not only that, he showed his class. He showed what he can do uh, with his passing ability and working hard. He just seemed like a man possessed. Dean Smith said after this game that you know he, he honestly believes that John McGinn covered every blade of grass. And I'm not one to disrespect or disagree with a man like Dean Smith. Um, I, I, I don't think you, you have to look too far to see how much John McGinn means to this Aston Villa team and how much he'll continue to mean to this team going forward. It's just a matter of staying healthy, and I, I think he will. I think that's going to be a, a big thing for Aston Villa this season is to stay healthy. But as, as far as this goal, I mean, that's that's what you want to see. You want to see Aston Villa doing these things, getting players in the correct places. Uh, the communication on the pitch, as, as you said, about Grealish kind of pointed to where he wanted the ball, and McGinn was only so happy just to throw it over top of a couple defenders and put it right to Jack and I, I think it may have been a little hasty from from the Fulham goalkeeper to rush out in the manner that he did but at the end of the day it's one no Aston Villa John McGinn's looking like he's coming right back in the form it looks like that ankle injury is far far away in the past so I don't I don't know Andy do you, you think McGinn maybe got a little chip on his shoulder you think maybe he picked up a newspaper past week and thought like oh what's going on because I mean even even guys like Ashley Priest you know the beat writer for the mail even he gave McGinn a little bit of stick after the uh after the Sheffield uh, United game to be honest, I just think this is John McGinn. I think this is... He would have known himself that he's obviously been a, a bit out of form. Uh, he's been carrying... Well, he's he got a horrendous injury. Um, and then, by all accounts, he got another one um, just as he was about to come back in March, um, which set him back again. And he, he, he clearly wasn't really fit, match fit, was he, during, during lockdown. Um, he did improve during those 10 games. Um and I just think any criticism of of John McGinn for one for one performance against Sheffield United is 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 crackers really. I just think he's 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 such an all action all energy kind of player. Um, and you have to understand as well that um, a, a manager like Chris Wilder is going to have a is going to have a plan for, for someone like John McGinn. He's not going to just let John McGinn run games. Um, you know, like like he perhaps did last night, like like Scott Parker perhaps let him do last night, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I just always I have a massive amount of faith in John McGinn. Um, I think he holds a lot of a lot of our hopes this season, and I'm delighted, absolutely delighted to see him put in that kind of performance last night. Great, great ball over the top, but that was by no means. The best thing he did during the game, he was, he was, he was, he was everywhere, wasn't he? And um, yeah, like you say, Tasmanian devil. <laughs> you know, he's, he 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 was on everything last night, and and uh, really great to see it. Yeah, I mean, Villa gave up a decent amount of possession on the day to Fulham, but the cottages never really looked like they were going to break down the Villa defence. Um, Grealish turned from goal scorer into playmaker in the fifteenth minute. Um, you know, it was a, it was a really well worked goal. Yeah, it took a quick throw in to, to Watkins, who held the ball, who held the ball up, 
passed it back into Grealish's path who you know rushed into Fulham's 18 yard box before definitely placing a ball towards McGinn who kind of stopped the ball dead for Hurahan who uh, you know took it onto his right foot uh, and I, I referred to it as a right footed rarity from Hurahan uh, as he slotted the ball home in the, in the, the right hand corner of the net you know we're 2-0 up with only 15 minutes in Fulham looked all over the place and, and you know there was there was many issues with Fulham's Fulham's defence and midfield at this at this point in the game, you know for this specific goal Tom Kearney stopped running with Hurahan, you know he didn't track his man and that man ended up scoring. Do you think this goal was more about what Villa had done or what Fulham didn't do, Andy? Well, I suppose it's a bit of both, really. I suppose you could you could make that point about most goals that are scored, but it's undoubtedly um, a very good Villa move. Um, involving, you know, a number a number of players, and ultimately sort of finished off really really nicely by by Connor. You know, um, like so many of the Villa goals, it, it it comes from it comes from Jack Grealish, doesn't it? And his his unerring ability to to take up and get into great great areas that just frighten the life out of defenses. Um, I, I wasn't I wasn't aware of the, the Tom Tom Kearney issue on that goal, um, but yeah, I mean you've still got to put it together and and take the goal, haven't you? And um, it, it just worked really well. It was a very very fluid move. Um, what do you think about it, Mark? I I, th- I think you're right. It's a little bit of two things. Uh, you know, it was a well worked goal, and you want to see that kind of play, especially with Jack Grealish kind of backing people up a little bit. And I mean, we've seen it before. We've seen Jack rush on the left side of the 18 yard box and Connor Horahan's kind of the late arriving, uh, you know, attacker where he, he gets up a little bit into the, into the opposition's area. Um, but I do think that Tom Kearney completely, not, he not only let himself down here, he let Fulham supporters down here. Tom Kearney's been at Fulham for a long time. He should know that he has to work a little bit harder than that. The fact that he didn't mark Connor Horahane out of this play, is it's criminal, really. I mean, if I'm Scott Parker, I'm probably taking off the sweater vest and jumping onto the pitch and grabbing Tom <laughs> Kearney from the back back of the scruff of the neck and being like, hey, brother, you got you got a responsibility here. You know, it's that this isn't this isn't a championship. You know, you're not it's 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 not a lower league, you know, championship team that you're facing here this is Aston Villa you know they've invested money you know the players that are on here it's not like they're strangers it's not like you're playing a team from the middle of nowhere you know what Villa is about so for Tom Kearney to do that I just think that it was absolutely shameful um not to not to be too too hard on an opposition player but like come on man you just got nearly promoted you you got to fight for this you got to fight for every blade of grass in this league and to see that from a player that I respect like Tom Kearney was it was pretty uh pretty surprising I think um, just to make another point about those two players, actually, I, I, I do remember when Hurahan signed for Villa, and uh, I think Tom Kearney was another player that was potentially linked with us at the time, and we were probably priced out. You, you know, I think we signed Hurahan for one and a half million. I think Fulham probably wanted closer to ten million for Tom Kearney, who was at the time a you know a top level uh, Championship player, um, and I think it just shows. You know, Kearney's had a couple of stabs at the Premier League since then with Fulham. Uh, never really established himself, and I think it goes to show the development in Hurahan's game that he's kind of he's kind of gone past um, Kearney in that respect. And you know, they were probably quite similar players at the time when Villa were looking at both of them. But um, Hurahan has developed massively uh, into a a really competent Premier League midfielder. Um, whose stats 
stand up against anyone really um, in his position. So um, I just wanted to make that that point about the two of them really, and just the kind of divergence of them really. Yeah, I mean, you know, Hurahan is is he's one of those players that is, will split our fan base until you know the the cows come home. Um, I don't even know if that's a phrase. <laughs> a phrase, if I'm honest, it, it is. It's actually like an American phrase. I'm so surprised. That's, <laughs> geez, I gotta get some water. Oh my god, what just happened? But yeah, you know, he'll he'll split the fan base in in every single game. Um, but I think I read today that he has the most involvement in Aston Villa's goals since Project Restart. Um, so it just shows how important he is to the squad. And I mean, for me personally, he's one of two positions that that we should probably be looking to improve before the end of the window, which, which you know, really doesn't... It doesn't say much about how important Hurahan is to this team. I think he's an incredible player and I, I, I love him to bits. He's one of my favourite players, but I do think... He offers so much, but at the same time, I think he's sometimes a little bit off the pace for the Premier League. But moving back towards the game, um, you know, Villa didn't mind Fulham dwelling on the ball for large portions of it. But it seemed no matter how or where they passed the ball to, the game plan was always to cross it into the tearing striker in Mitrovic. I think Fulham throughout the game, I think they attempted 43 crosses into the the Villa box and, you know, they were crossing it from deep. Um but it, it never really materialised to Fulham. You know, hats must really go off to Mings and Conser for keeping a player who has goals in him uh, in check throughout, throughout the first half and the second half. And uh, Villa went in in at half-time, 2-0 up away at Craven Cottage. Um, you know, what were your feelings at the half-time whistle, guys? Uh, I'll come to you first, Mark. What were your feelings at half-time? Were you thinking that, you know, perhaps it was going to be a 2-0 that we're going to struggle to keep hold of? Or do you think that the game was kind of settled at that point? Um, I was looking for Scott Parker to kind of do what he had to do and get his team resettled and maybe even a formation switch. Maybe it just wasn't working the way that they came out. And, you know, you figure out ways to maybe move some players around, get a little bit more defensively staunch. And I honestly, I, I thought that they would put a, more attacking options on the pitch before they actually did. Um, but then they didn't. And I, I was really, really surprised with the halftime. I, I thought we were going to see a different form in the forty-five in the second 45. I thought maybe, you know, there, there'd be a little, little bit of screaming going on in, uh, in, in Fulham's changing room. And maybe he, Scott Parker would be able to get these guys playing at a more respectable level. And it's not to say that Villa completely steamrolled the game. Like you said, we gave up a lot of the possession during this game. But I just expected more from this. I, I, I thought that maybe Fulham would be looking at Villa, with Villa finishing 17th last season to maybe look at this as being able to snatch some points away um and it, they just showed they didn't show enough fight they're just a one-trick pony of trying to get the ball up to Mitrovic and you know all credit goes to Mings and Konza like you just said for me because I, I think that he, he's not a easy striker to mark out of a game and he did have his chances he had a couple headers wide he had a couple balls that he may have been able to control coming off of his chest down to his feet and it just never really came off for him um but you know, at the same point in time, you know, we Villa don't have center backs that are intimidated by these larger bodied strikers in the Premier League. Uh, I don't think Mitrovic is, is an exception to that rule at all. So I'm, I'm really proud. I'm really happy for the center back pairing on how they dealt with him because we've seen in the past, even when Fulham were previously in the Premier League on his day, Mitrovic, he can he can definitely cause you some issues back there. So I was pretty happy about it. Andy, do you think that, you know, it was it was just a bad day at the office for Fulham or do you think we have to give Mings and Consa some credit? No, I think I think Fulham are a pretty poor side, to be honest. I think they're going to really struggle. Um, even if they do get another centre back in or one or two extra players, I think they. I don't. I just don't think they've got the squad. 
Mitrovic is a player that 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 will you know he will get a few goals for them this season. But to me, he's not he's not he, he just looks he just looks off it to me. Um, he's not the same as he was perhaps a couple of years ago. I know he scored a lot of goals last season. It just looks a bit a bit heavy to me. Um, but no, I, I, in terms of Villa, we just did everything that that that, that we sh- that we had to do. And um, what struck me was the the similarity in Fulham and how they approached the game to how we were approaching games this time last season. You know that kind of just all energy but no end product, um, or just just sort of blindly going about our. Our our game plan, you know, because this is what we do. This is how we play, and just getting picked off by a more professional, um, more sort of savvy outfit. Whether you know whoever that happens to be. I mean, I, I think back to Bournemouth on the first home game of last season, and they didn't have to do much to beat us at all. But we we played well. We we put a lot of energy in, but just just just. Just couldn't put anything together, and that's how Fulham reminded me. You know, it's, it's all very well having all this possession, but they just did nothing with it, and that's partly due to how poor they are, but also to how we set up and we use our energy well. Um, we conserve energy. We, you know, we don't we don't get drawn in too much. We press when we have to. We win the ball back, and we, we and we we're, we're far more clinical. We look far more clinical this season um, when we get when we get forward. So that that's kind of my take on on it. And I, that perhaps doesn't answer your question, Regan, really. But um, <laughs> that's that's kind of how I saw it, and that's what struck me most. I, I think you know last season we were we were perhaps too too concentrated on trying to stop opposition teams playing the way they wanted to play. Um, and I think this season we're going to see a lot of of how we we kind of played against Fulham, and we're going to let teams play that they want the one the way that they want to play, and wait for our opportunities rather than trying to force them. More so, I think we're we're looking at a much more patient Aston Villa side, and I don't think you know we, we we've seen it so many times where Villa have kind of conceded at a, a point in in whichever half, the first half or the second half, and we've seen them kind of racing or chasing to try and you know get an equalizer or a winner or and i i think we'll see much less of that i think you know we're going to have a lot more kind of um games where it's going to be nil nil for a, a long period of the game especially against top teams and we're going to wait until we we can kind of see an opportunity to to build something within that game um but it, you know moving on to the second half um it was only three, three or four minutes into the second half that that saw Villa grab their third goal as Tyrone Mings would get a couple of outstretched toes onto a Konohurahan free kick delivery. He put the kind of last nail in the coffin um, for Fulham in that game, and and you know I would I would say Fulham would probably like to forget that game in a hurry. Um, and really, not much much else happened. You know, uh, Fulham had a goal disallowed as Mitrovic threw Konz to the ground in the build up, um, but really it was it was very much a game of, of Villa dominance in front of goal. And that's two wins in two for Aston Villa in the Premier League. Um, granted, it's probably too too early to get carried away, but how how are we feeling about the, the start of the season so far? I'll come to you first, Mark. 
anyone who needs to hear this, I'm going to be the voice of reason, as most oftentimes I am. You're allowed to be excited about Aston Villa winning football games. Don't let anyone tell you you're not allowed. It's a good thing to be happy about your football team performing well. Don't listen to the, the miserable people that they, they think we're getting carried away. We beat a 10-man Sheffield United. We beat Fulham, who's already looking like they're nailed down. These are positive things. You need to string results together. It doesn't matter who they're against. I don't care if Villa's playing the under-12s of some team in Texas and they win the game. I'm going to be happy about the fact that Villa came out and won that game. <laughs> I, I, I think it's okay. I think it's okay to be excited. I think it's okay to be happy about it. Yes, there are some dangerous sides we're going to come across this season, um, especially the next one in the Premier League against Liverpool. That's going to be an interesting matchup. We'll talk about that in a little while. But I don't know. I'm happy about it. I'm feeling good. I felt good about it yesterday. I'm feeling good about it today. You know, we, we come against a Stoke City team that's they're they're in form for an early early season contest, even though they are in the championship. So I, I don't know, man. I'm just I'm happy about it. You're not going to catch me pissing and moaning about my team getting, you know, back to back wins in the Premier League to kick off a season. I think you got to be a, a special kind of upset and angry to be to be uh, that way about winning games. I don't know, Andy, do you think that there's cause for, I'm not, I'm not saying celebrations get the bus, you know, waxed up and all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying anything like that, but like, are we naturally allowed to be happy about this kind of start to a season? I think when you've, you've been, you've had seasons like Villa have had um, in the Premier League, particularly um, since O'Neill left, you know, long stretches of games without wins if you win two in a row, you've got to you've got to take that. You've got to you've got to celebrate it and be happy about it because um, you can you can go on a long winless run, um, and we're, we're, we're you know it's early days. We're, we're fourth in the Premier League. This is this this feels good. So we've got enough horrible stuff going on in the world at the moment. We should be able to enjoy our football team getting a couple couple of wins. I reckon, um, absolutely, absolutely, and, and I think also um, we were mentioning this a little bit earlier um, before we came on that um, Dean Smith has to take an almighty amount of credit for 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 this, um, the way he's turned it around since apparently being one game from from the sack back in March. Um, the game was eventually called off, and he 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 stayed in his job, and he really sorted the whole the whole thing out, didn't he? Um, Defensive wise, it's we've talked talked about it before, but he now looks like a manager who's 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 at home at this level. You know, a bit like some of his players, a bit like Connor Hurahan, Trezeguet, Douglas Louise, who who've perhaps had difficult starts to their Premier League. Um, careers, he he just looks um, really comfortable, really at home. He's got he's got the measure of it. He'll have difficult times this season, um, but I think he's learnt where he where he needs to be at um, tactically. Um, he's got some good people with him. He's Shakespeare, Craig Shakespeare is going to be an, a tremendous addition to the backroom team, and um, but I just think he should take an awful amount, awful lot of credit. You know, he's he's. He's led. He's led this the club um, out from obscurity into the top half of the Premier League, and that's something to be something to be really pleased about. I think. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Villa are miles ahead of, of last season in terms of when they picked up their first two Premier League wins. And it, it's it's a good start considering that we've got some stiff competition on the horizon. But before that, we host Stoke City at Villa Park for a round of 16 matchup in the Carabao Cup. Um, you know, it's, it's great to see us doing doing well in, in the Carabao Cup again. You know, we beat Stoke and we're in the quarterfinals and it seems to be a competition that, you know, Dean Smith's got some pedigree in on, as as. as Villa manager um but you know I think you know we we saw how how well our second string side can play against Bristol and personally I think that we'll roll out a similar side to that I you know I wouldn't be upset to see El Mohamedy back at centre back for this one and I think it's a position he could cover for well in the Premier League um you know if we if we don't get a um you know, another centre back option in before the window closes. I would be happy to see El Mohamedy as like a, a fourth choice centre back, perhaps. Um, and you know, as well, the, the likes of Bertrand Traore and Jacob Ramsey will probably get starting nods again. Um, I think you know Lansbury as well. He he's going to be a player that's that's going to thrive in the Carabao Cup this year. He, he did it last year. I think he he. I can't remember. I don't. I don't think he scored any goals, but he, I'm pretty sure he had a, a, a hand in pretty much all the goals we scored in the competition last season. Um, what are your thoughts on, on the, the lineup we expect to see against Stoke? I'll come to you first, Andy. Yeah, I don't really see any reason to make it uh, too too different to, to last week, really. I think I think it's a good opportunity to... You know, to to kind of get a bit of a two team system going um, in the early season and 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 rest some of the some of the, the Premier League players. Um, you know, if there's anyone maybe just short of a bit of fitness, I mean, I I would be playing Matt Target for example because I th- I think I think he needs minutes. To me, I think he's he's a little bit off off the pace at the moment. Um, so I'd, I'd be playing him, but then, you know, Taylor probably needs a run as well. Um, yeah, Trail Ray and Ramsey certainly should start, as should Davis. Um, but other than that, yeah, I'd, 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 I'd keep it much the same. And uh, King Jed back in goal, definitely. What do you reckon, Mark? I think Jed's a good shot. I'd love to see Jed steer. I'm, a, I'm a always will always love to see him in an Aston Villa kit between the sticks. I, I do think that it'll, it'll stay pretty much the same for Dino. Um, there's been some questions around um, social media about how important a, a cup competition actually is to Villa, even though it's still early doors of the season. This is going to be accelerated a little bit faster than usual. You got to figure we play Stoke on Thursday, and then I believe Liverpool is Sunday. We only have a two day gap between Stoke and Liverpool, right? So yeah, I, I would look for the rotated squad. I'd look for El Mohamedy at centre back, Bertrand Chori. I could see out there, Jacob Ramsey. I, I I don't know why I like the Jacob Ramsey with uh, marvelous Nakamba sitting behind. I don't know if it's because they're a little bit smaller bodied uh, footballers, but they just seem like there's the, like there might be a little something there. You could utilize that in the midfield. So that's what I'm looking forward at Stoke. If we can control that midfield, I think we're probably able to win the game. Of course, everybody knows I love Keenan Davis, and you know I I would love to see Keenan get a get a goal if not get a brace against Stoke. Just kind of dispatch this team out of the way while still getting your fitness up. Um, I agree with what you said about. Matty Target. I think he definitely looked off of it against Fulham, but it also looked that like maybe that's where Fulham decided that's where they're going to make inroads in to be able to cross the ball from the wide areas. Um, which we've seen that before. We've seen we've seen uh, managers target Matt Target, no pun intended, um, <laughs> to have him 
to you know kind of confuse him a little bit and get him caught up the pitch. There is a tangible chemistry between Jack Grealish and Matt Target. You, you can't say that there isn't. We've all seen it before. We've seen it work before. I just think that when it doesn't work, it definitely doesn't work, and it definitely doesn't work whenever teams are trying to get Target to make an overlap or an underlap while Jack's up the pitch. I just think it causes a lot of confusion, which then makes your back line have to kind of spread out to a back three, sometimes even a two, depending on what the right back's doing on the other side of the pitch. That probably all sounds mightily confusing but I think you guys know what I'm getting at it's just um, it's just one of those things that target needs to be as responsible defensively as offensively and I think he's still working on that I like like you said Andy it's not it's not everybody can't get on the same page at the same time when you just come to the Premier League it's going to take some players a short amount of time some players a longer amount of time but for this Carabao Cup match against Stoke I'm looking for the same lineup and I'm definitely looking to dispatch this team and, and continue to grow forward in the competition well, in, in the five matches across all competitions that Stoke have played so far this season, they've only lost one game to Bristol City in the Championship. They had a little bit of luck dispatching Wolves, or, or maybe not considering the, the West Ham result <laughs> over the weekend. Um, and then they defeated Gillingham. You know, it, it's it's not necessarily going to be an easy game for this second string side, but I, I do expect us to progress into the quarterfinals. In terms of Premier League games, Villa will be coming up against the reigning Premier League champions, Liverpool, as Marco's already mentioned, in their next fixture. Without sounding too negative, do you think this is a bit of a free hit for Villa? Do you, do you know? Do you think Dean Smith should instruct his team to go out and keep doing what they've been doing, um, or, or would you rather see a more defensive approach and see what we can do against some of these, you know, high-scoring big hitters? Uh, for for me, I, I just go out and keep doing what you're doing. What's the worst that can happen? Uh, for me, it's a little bit of a free hit at least. Um, you don't want to go out there and try to have your foot on the gas and get you know beat 4-5 no by Liverpool no one wants to see that happen but I'd like to see Villa compete um, you know we we weren't exactly intimidated by them last season whenever we played them so now we got a couple more players in the squad and you know Dean's been able to relook back on how we look at things defensively I, I think that this might be one of those games where, where Villa's going to put up a pretty strong fight I'm not going to say they're going to walk around you know walk away with three points on the day but I, I think you're going to see a lot of team from, the, from this Aston Villa side I don't think they're going to get too too carried away trying to do too much at, at one time what do you think Andy do you think that it's a free hit or do you do you, do you think it's uh it's time to kind of shut shut the doors a little bit maybe park the bus well it's definitely not a free hit because I don't I don't necessarily think such a thing exists in the in the Premier League at times I think you know you have to approach every game like there's points available um and and uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it would it would it would take a really a really good performance um, to to come away with anything. But um, I would, and and, and in, in terms of how we set up, a lot of that is dictated by the quality of the opposition you're playing. I think if you if you're going to have less of the ball, you you are going to be kind of sit, sitting back and defending a bit a bit deeper generally, aren't you? And it's about discipline, then, isn't it? And 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 being more much more clinical. When you do get an opportunity, you know you might you might diff- you might block them out for seventy minutes, a bit like we did at Anfield earlier in the, um, sorry uh, last season. Um, blocked them out and just didn't just couldn't quite take those chances when we when we had them. We have to be a lot more clinical, I think, this time, and hopefully we can we can put something together and and um, and be be resolute at the back and. Who knows? We might get a stroke of luck and and um, 
you know, and, and nick something. Um, but it's a it, it's a bit of a long shot. But uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Absolutely, I'm I'm looking forward to see like what kind of result this this game springs up. You know, it, it's very early in, on into the season, and as we've seen so far, absolutely anything can happen. Um, now, whilst the domestic transfer window still has a little bit more time to it, the international window is closing in six days' time from, from now, from when we're recording this episode. Aston Villa have still been linked with Ross Barkley and Ruben Loftus-Cheek from Chelsea, as it seems both players may not be in the season-long plans of Chelsea boss Frank Lampard. Obviously, we can only take one on loan from, from Chelsea, and, and one of our very talented writers, Guy Pox, and penned a very good piece about comparing Loftus, Cheek and Barkley, which you can find on Under Gaslit Lomp. The piece itself has quotes from Chelsea supporters, deep statistical talk and much more. And it, it, it kind of helped me uh, choose who I would ra- like rather uh, over over the other, I guess. Um, but how are we feeling about Barkley or Loftus Cheek, guys? You know, surely either coming in the door would drop Jacob Ramsey out of, of a, a match day squad and perhaps send him on loan, which would probably split opinion amongst the fan base. And you know, do, do we actually need another number eight in the door, or, or would you ride out the season with 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 Hurahan and Ramsey? Uh, for for me, I'm I'm in a I'm completely split with this one. Um, I can see the positives of bringing Barkley in. I can see the positives of bringing Loftus-Cheek in. I think it's kind of hard done on on young Ramsey now because he's looked really, really good so far. Again, very young in the season. But when he's given his time, even at the end of the Fulham game when he he was on for his Premier League debut, um, it, it just seemed like he was comfortable. It didn't seem like he was very shaky. Again, it's against the Fulham side. Let's see if Ramsey can do that kind of thing against, a, I don't know, an Everton or even like a, a scrappier side like Southampton or things like like that but he hasn't looked out of place so I think it'd be a little fair to him but like on the other side that I'm split on kind of want a little bit more Premier League experience in there someone who's been around the block a little bit I'd probably take Ruben Loftus-Cheek over Barkley my only concern there is Loftus-Cheek's uh, injury record it hasn't been stellar over the past number of years now so I I don't know man I'm, I'm still split on this one I, I can't really make a decision but I do think it'd be hard done on Ramsey but again are you putting too much pressure on someone that age I don't I don't know it's it's a, it's a little bit of a tricky one for me what do you think Andy I think on balance um if I was to pick one, I mean, I, I I doubt whether both are available, and I think um, I'm not I'm not certain Barkley would really be up for a loan at the moment. Um, but out of the two, I'd certainly pick Barkley because I just think he's a, he's a he's an elite Premier League player. Um, he's obviously at a club where there's a, a huge amount of competition for places, um, and perhaps he doesn't quite fit into their their system now. Um, but I do think. Out of the two of them, he's the, he's the elite performer in the Premier League. So I'd I'd certainly take him if he's available. Um, in terms of the overall question, though, I'm not I'm not a fan of loaning from other Premier League clubs if there's no option or obligation to to make it a permanent deal. Because, like we've said many many times, it, all we're doing essentially is keeping um, another team's players fit for them or or improving them and then sending them back and they then either profit out of that by selling them on or they or they get back in their in their team and they reap the rewards that way so if we're going to be serious about it I'd like us to try and buy one of them um and then 
in that case, I would definitely go for Barkley. Um, I don't know whether that's possible, though. It's, it seems to be a loan, and that's it. Yeah, and I mean, besides the two Chelsea players, Dean Smith and Johan Lange may be looking to solidify the back line as well. You know, people have raised issues with left back yourself, Andy, one of those people. Um, and, and you know, according to Danish publication Extra Bladet, Villa are looking at the 21-year-old defender Victor Nelson, who currently plays at FC Copenhagen. Lange is obviously aware of the player as he obviously arrived at Villa from Copenhagen and he may have a bit more knowledge on the upward upward trajectory of Nelson than most you know previously Dean Smith's been forced into deputising Al Mohamedi as a centre-back in the cup pairing him with Courtney Horse against Bristol City Um, but you know Injuries to, to Villa centre backs could spell disaster. You know, the, the makeshift partnership of those two could work against teams like Bristol City, but perhaps not, you know, Premier League players. I, I do think Elmer could deputise well, but not against an elite Premier League side. Um, last season, six foot one. Nelson was nailed on starter for Copenhagen. He amassed 3,553 minutes across all competitions, held a passing accuracy of over 90%. And, you know, that's 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 a blessing as a, as a ball-playing defender, even more so when he doesn't really pass the ball backwards an awful lot. He also seems to have a very high success rate when stopping attackers in their tracks, winning nearly 70% of his defensive duels, whilst making 160 clearances as well. You know, he's, he's bringing in a younger defender necessary at the moment for Villa you know there's there's obviously Concer and Mings in the fray as, as nailed on starters but you know Bjorn Engels uh, seem to have a series of injury woes so Villa may need cover in that area what are your thoughts on that Andy? Yeah I'm all, I'm all for bringing in um, young players who who are who are looking to make a, a step into the Premier League I think um, there's a there's a strong um, pedigree of of Scandinavian Premier League players um, I'm all for that and I think what makes it even better is you could sign a player like Nelson um, and he could he can come in but he doesn't necessarily we're not necessarily pinning all our hopes on him from the word go because we already have you know a good centre-back partnership currently working well together so he can feel his way in a little bit and and get a bit of experience without the pressure of having to be you know absolutely up to speed in 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 a in a hugely competitive environment so this is this is i'm not sure how how true the link is but this is the sort of thing that this is why we have a sporting director to 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 pick out these these players that, that that maybe have gone a bit under the radar, who or who they feel can can add a bit of value to the to the squad overall. So yeah, I'd I'd, I'd be all for this one um, if it could happen. As and certainly as I'm not sure the I'm not sure Engels um, is really fancied at the moment by by Smith, regardless of whether he's he's injured. I I don't think Smith particularly trusts him, unfortunately. So. Um, yeah, I'm 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 all for something like this happening. Yeah, I I don't I I don't know. This is this is just such a no-brainer to me. Um if if Lange sees somebody that obviously he's previously known about, 
Um, it's a good age for this player as well, you know, 21 years old. And all the stats that Regan said, um, you know, I don't know a great, great deal about him. I'm just like everybody else. I had to kind of look up the stats and look up some of his uh, game footage uh, over the past couple of days here when this broke. But I, I think that th- I would like Villa to be the type of team that has a sporting director that goes and looks for these players that are, you know, you can take and you can develop. Um, and I, I, I just think that Nelson has all that. I think he ticks all those boxes. We've heard about it from Christian Perslow time and time again, but wanting to get younger, promising players in the door. So this might be one of those cases where we have inside information and that might benefit us in the long run. I, just like Andy just said, I don't think he comes in and you just start throwing crazy amounts of game time at him. I think Mings and Cons are now the nailed on starters for this Aston Villa team and they, they damn well should be. But with, with a player like Nelson, he can develop here. You, you know, you could, you trust him a little bit just, just by the stats. I mean, it's it's so funny that like I'm a big stats guy myself, but honestly, like this this guy passes the eye test for me. Bring him in, see what can happen. Worst comes to worst, you might have to sell him off down the line, maybe a little bit. But you know, that's that's we, we talked about it before. That's just how this game's played now. But I, I'd be really excited to see Victor Nelson in the door because I think it would be a no pressure move for him. I don't think it would have to be something where he feels a lot of pressure, like he has to be the guy coming in the door to take over defense and you know all that kind of thing. We already have players that do that, so I think it'd be a comfortable move for. Him. Obviously, from the league he comes in, it would be a lucrative move for him. He'd probably get a, a, bu- a bumper uh, paycheck compared to what he's making now. And who doesn't love more money, Regan? <laughs> it's very true. Uh, now, before before we bring this podcast to a close, I think you know I, I'd like quick fire answers from you both. Um, just not necessarily one word because I don't think you can do this in one word. But scoreline predictions for our next two games. So I'll come. I'll come to each of you for the Stoke game, and then I'll come to each of you for the Liverpool game. So Mark predictions: Aston Villa versus Stoke City. Three-one uh, to the Villa with Stoke City scoring first. Okay, Andy. Yeah, that's a good shout. Actually, I think I'm gonna go. I'm gonna say it's gonna be two two, and we'll win on penalties. Interesting. And J- James Chester will miss a penalty <laughs> on purpose. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I'll go to you first, Andy. Predictions for Liverpool. This is a game I wish I was able to go to. This is why we're we're back in the Premier League these kind of days, and it's such a shame that that we just we're, we're locked out at the minute. Um, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go one-one. Okay. I'm gonna be confident and go one-one. Okay, I, I'd I'd like to agree with you with that one. Um, and Mark, predictions for Liverpool. You know, we've seen some wild results in the Premier League. Um, this would be probably being a little optimistic and a little off the cuff. I'm gonna say a three-three draw. I think it's gonna be a little, it's gonna get a little crazy. We're gonna see some <laughs> things happen. I think Aston Villa is gonna make a couple people sit up in their chairs a little bit and go, "What the hell is going on at B6?" Well, yeah, it'd, be it, nice, it'd be nice to go one better than Leeds and actually get the draw as well, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> well, it sounds like whatever happens, it's going to be an exciting couple of days for Aston Villa towards the end of this week. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do leave us a review or, or feedback on social media. Um, you can leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Villa Lamp on Instagram at under a gaslit lamp on facebook forward slash under a gaslit lamp and as always thank you ever so much for listening and up the villa